right. Bless the Lord. It is good to be here tonight. It's always good to be in God's house. We are glad you're here. All right. Just a couple of reminders. Uh, of course, we, we know the pumpkin patch is going to start this, uh, this Sunday after church, and uh, the pumpkins come in, we think, around 5 o'clock. Uh, that's the plan. Friday at 5 o'clock. So we need about 200 people to unload all those thousands of pumpkins in the back back here. So if you have nothing to do Friday and you want to pitch in and help, it takes a lot of muscles and willingness and wheelbarrows and all that kind of stuff. Praise God. Uh, let's see, what else? I was going to say something else. See, we start a new uh, uh, Supernatural series this weekend uh, on Sunday. We're looking forward to that. Uh, praise God. How many of you like pop quizzes? Okay, we're studying the book of John. And most of you know that the book of John is unique. I'm sure Brother uh, Ben, as he began the series on the book of John last week, told you some unique features uh, of the book of John. And actually, uh, John mentions things that none of the others do. Uh, he was focused. He had one hope. He had one desire. He was focused on revealing Jesus as the Son of God, the divinity the God nature of Jesus. So in the book of John, Jesus spoke seven I am's. What are the seven I am's? What was the first I am? John chapter 6, he said, I am the bread. First three I am's are all inanimate objects. It's easy to remember. The first three are inanimate objects. So the first was, I am the bread of life. Then the next one, John 8, he's the light of the world. And then in John 10, he's the door. And then right after he said, I am the door... He said, I'm the good shepherd. That's exactly right. Related to the door. And then the last three are probably the most um, remembered, the most quoted. um, That he spoke the next I am uh, to, I believe it was either Mary or Martha, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then the next to the last, I am, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last I am is the true vine. Anybody know where that is? John 15, 1. That's exactly right. So you did fairly good. Uh, some of you made a zero. Um, 
And for that, you get to take the test over again. But some of you did pretty good. I did very good, very excellent. So I'm going to be trying to uh, get your interest in studying the book of John. So, such a rich, powerful uh, book. And because the reason Jesus came was to reveal himself as God so that we might come into that relationship with him. Uh, John, he didn't mention any genealogy. He didn't talk about the birth of Jesus. He didn't talk about any of that. He just jumped right in there. In the beginning was the Word, (laughs) and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And there was not anything made that was not made by him. So he he didn't beat around the bush with genealogy and all these other things. He just, wham, began to tell you who Jesus was. So Brother Ben uh, covered uh, verses 1 through 5, uh, which was a lot there. He had talked about covering more, but then we got to it. He said, I don't think I can handle but just five verses. That's about all we're going to do. So we are going to be a little more ambitious. We're going to try and get from 6 down to 18, hopefully, uh, the Lord willing. So I, first of all, I'd like to read that passage to you, and then we're going to go back, back up, and we're going to dissect that. God sent a man, John the Baptist. Oh, we didn't pray. Let's pray. I almost got ahead of myself. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we look to you. We need your help, Lord. You, Holy Spirit, are the one who gives insight, wisdom, direction, help. We can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. We all need your help. We are desperate for you, O Lord. And so, Lord, as we read these passages from the book of John, Lord, we ask you for the Holy Spirit to bring the unction, the revelation, the understanding. And, Lord, say more through me than what I say by your Holy Spirit so that you might apply this passage to our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimonies. It already tells you why John came. He was a light. He was a witness. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell us about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came, now, verse 6 through 9 was kind of talking about John the Baptist, uh, but now he's jumping into and beginning to talk about Jesus because verse 9 alludes to the light that is coming uh, into the world. So verse 10 is now talking about Jesus. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. In just a moment, I want to ask you, I want you to think about for a moment, why Why was he rejected? Why did his own people miss him? Why did his own people that had, that had the prophetic word from Isaiah that they had the 
prophecies concerning Jesus, the, the Messianic Psalms, they had all this information prophetically speaking about Jesus, and yet they missed him, and the world rejected him. So I want you to think about that. Twelve, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. What a powerful verse. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. In other words, a supernatural birth. So, the Word became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John, now we're jumping back to John, the Baptist. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And I'll have to say amen to that. We have received gracious blessings. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk a little bit about the law in a moment. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Okay, so first of all, we're going to take that first part. We're going to talk about John the Baptist. And I have something, actually, I had the privilege of speaking to our young people last week. That was quite a trip, I want to tell you. That was exciting. Uh, If you haven't been to the lighthouse, they were packed out over there at the lighthouse. The young people on top of young people on top of young people. Uh, It was just uh, packed out. And uh, they, they didn't, it was their acoustic night. So it meant it wasn't that loud. I, I did bring some ear, earplugs uh, because I had heard it, was, it could get a little loud over there. But I had the acoustic night, so hey, it was, it was great. You know, I loved it. But it was so exciting to hear our kids uh, hungry for God. You know, probably, I guess, 150, 180 uh, teenagers, young people uh, in there at the lighthouse. And I had the privilege of speaking to him. And one of the things I covered was a question about John the Baptist. And this is the question. John the Baptist, and he tells us here that he was a light. He was a witness. He, he was a witness to the light of Jesus. And he was a powerful witness. Now, John had every reason. First of all, uh, he's a cousin. And he's six months older than Jesus. And both, in a sense, his was not an immaculate conception uh, the way Jesus was, uh, was not born of the Holy Spirit. But it says John the Baptist, he was filled with the Spirit from, while he was in his mother's womb. So there was a, a dyna- dynamic supernatural uh, thing going on there with Elizabeth and John the Baptist. And remember, John the Baptist said of Jesus, as he walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
So he declared who Jesus was. And then at the water baptism, Jesus asked to be water baptized by John. John said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. He does it anyway in obedience. And then the Father God speaks from heaven and says out loud, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. John heard that. So if there's anybody who should know and believe and trust that Jesus is the Christ, it's John the Baptist. And yet, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus sends, excuse me, John the Baptist sends messengers. And John, calling his two disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Do you you realize what an amazing, crazy statement that is? John the Baptist is asking, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one? Do we look for another? The very hour he cured many infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. To many blind he gave sight. That in itself was the fulfillment of the book of Isaiah. Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John the things you have seen and heard, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And then he hits with a powerful word directly to John the Baptist and says, blessed is the man, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. They all must have held their collective breath because everybody must have been thinking, "Uh uh-oh, there's trouble in the home front here. There's a rift between Jesus and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is questioning whether Jesus is the Christ, and Jesus says to his disciples, go tell John, blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. So I ask you, why? Why is John the Baptist asking this question? Why in the world did he send these disciples to ask this question? He knew. So what's going on? What do you think, Ed? He was in prison at that time. That's exactly right. And Jesus had not visited him. Kind of get the picture? And this is all kind of written between the lines. But you think about it. John the Baptist had the great ministry. Now, John the Baptist himself said... I must decrease so that he can increase. But there's a difference between saying it and doing it. (laughs) And so John the Baptist speaks up for righteousness, speaks to Herod and said, you have done a sinful thing. You have taken your brother Philip's wife, Herodias. You've married her and Philip and, and, you know, Philip didn't die or anything. He just took his wife. He just stole his wife and began to live with her. And John the Baptist 
said, it's wrong, it's sinful, you can't do that. And when he did that, he was thrown in prison. And he didn't get a visit from Jesus. And Jesus is doing great things. His ministry's increasing. And although John the Baptist had said, I've got to decrease and Jesus increase, it's now hitting hard. And I think that he is thinking something like this. He's thinking, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You could do something about this. You know, after all, you are the Son of God. You can do all things. And I'm in trouble, and I'm your cousin. And come on, Jesus, you haven't even visited me, much less you haven't done anything to get me out. You hadn't even spoken a good word. And here's the hard truth. God is more interested in revealing Jesus to the world than he was John being comfortable. And that's a word to us. See, it's easy to serve God and love God and talk about how wonderful everything is, but get offended and get, have someone treat you unfairly. Then you begin to find out who you really are, how that relationship really is with Jesus and you. And John the Baptist was being put to the test. Now, there was not a rift between Jesus and John the Baptist because if you read the rest of this story, I didn't, we didn't fill all this, but if you read the rest of Luke chapter 7, Jesus went on to talk to the people and said, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. He is the greatest prophet that has ever lived. So there was not a problem between him and John the Baptist, but he mildly and gently rebuked John the Baptist because John the Baptist has lost his vision. He lost sight of what was really important. See, here's the hard truth. John the Baptist needed to die. It's the truth. So that all the focus would be on Jesus and not on John the Baptist. And even though John the Baptist said, I have to decrease and so Jesus can increase, that was only going to happen by God bringing him home. And God did bring him home. And he used Herod and Herodias and Herodias' daughter. You remember the story. How it all came to pass. But ultimately it worked for God's plan and purpose. So that Jesus would be exalted and revealed. And people's focus would not be on John and back on Jesus. John needed to get out of the picture. So that people would see who Jesus is. But it's a reminder. You know when I read that story in Luke 7. And I realized what was going on. It's just like the Holy Spirit said to me and I think to all of us. That there are going to be times in our life when we're treated badly. That we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. And we're going to wonder why God is, quote, letting this happen. And yet, God had a plan and a purpose. Brother Freddie?
right? Yes, Brother Barry. And just to take on what you just said, sometimes we have to decrease. And what that means is that we do get offended, that we don't get what we want, that things don't work out our way. And yet God is in charge. And again, as I said earlier, he's more interested in exalting Jesus and building the church and building the kingdom of God than he is making me comfortable or making me happy. God's ultimate purpose and plan in the world is not to make me happy. Or to make you happy. It is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we might give him glory. As we say, it's not about us. And so, just like John the Baptist lost focus. He did. He should have never sent those guys. He should have never questioned Jesus. Are you the one? Or do we need to look for another? I think when he sent him, he knew better. It was his way of saying, Jesus, why aren't you over here helping me? And he didn't want to say that, so he just said, go ask him that. You know, it was was his way of getting Jesus' attention. His way of reminding Jesus, hey, I'm over here in jail. But hey, again... God's plan and purpose is bigger than us. It's bigger than our purpose, bigger than our plans. What does it tell us in Isaiah? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So sometimes we've just got to back up, like Brother Freddie said, and remember, God, you're in charge. And yes, you know, ideally, uh, maybe he should have gone to visit John, I don't know. But I think that was not the plan of God. Jesus knew that. Renee? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Here's an interesting note. Put that back up there uh, about the last part of, uh, yeah, 22. Jesus answered and said to them, notice it has quote marks there. One reason it has quote marks is he is actually quoting from a verse from the book of Isaiah. Go tell John the things you've seen and heard, quote, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the, gospel, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And if you look in the book of Isaiah, the next part of there, the prisoners are set free. But Jesus didn't say. <laughs> he left that part out. <laughs> the prisoners are set free. Because he knew John was not going to be set free. He knew his days were short upon the earth. And that's just the reality of it. And sometimes we just have to say, Lord, your will and your plan, not mine. Second question is obvious from our passage. Why did the world reject Jesus? Why did the world miss him? Why did his own people miss him? They didn't know who he was, Okay. They should have. They should have picked up from the prophetic things spoken about Jesus. They should have, but they didn't. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. He was certainly messing with their religion. He was messing up the whole Jewish religion. He was messing up the law of Moses. He was tampering with their traditions. He was stepping all over their uh, carefully laid plans uh, of the way the law of Moses was set up, and they didn't like it. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. They were waiting for the one on the white horse that was going to come with a rod of iron who was going to defeat all the enemies with the breath of his word. Uh, They were looking for that Messiah, but they forgot all about the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. They they didn't see that. They They missed that part. They missed Isaiah 53. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. So, yeah, I think they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him. They didn't know he was. They didn't like how he was messing with their religion. But I think you're exactly right. They were looking for the wrong Messiah. They were getting their cart in front of their horse, you might say. So any other reasons why they missed him? Anybody? I think that's pretty well. Barry, you have something? Yeah, yeah. We're going to look at we're going to look at that verse in just a moment. Uh, uh, let's look at John one twelve and thirteen. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right 
the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You know, to me, I read that and I think, what an amazing offer God has made to us. He has offered us forgiveness of sin, chance to start over in life with forgiveness of sin, a relationship with God, to be reborn. Of course, he talks about being born again in John chapter 3, but here it even uses the term to be reborn. But you'll notice that there he gives the right to become children of God to who? To the ones who believed him and accepted him. So if you were go- if somebody walked up to you and said, "Listen, I've heard about this Jesus. Would you please explain to me how I can be born again?" And they know very little and no scripture. What are you going to say? Evangelism 101. Come on now. Okay. All right, say that again. Okay, that's a good short uh, condensed version. That's pretty good. What are you going to say? For John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but could have eternal life. That's a good verse. It's a good one to start with, a good one to remind the people of. Yes, Penny, what else? Romans 10, chapter 9, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. We believe in our heart. Confess with our mouth, you shall be saved. For man believes unto righteousness and confesses unto salvation. Absolutely, yeah. All that, and I think... The key is, is that God gives us the offer. And the offer is made, and we have a responsibility to respond to that offer. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the salvation for every person who would believe. It doesn't mean that every person is going to believe. It doesn't mean that every person is going to appropriate what has been done for them. But the price was paid for the sin of mankind. And so, again, there's the offer. And and we are not responsible to bring in the harvest, but we are responsible to sow the seed. You know, sometimes you sow the seed and you don't see any answer. I don't know if you've ever, this has ever happened to you, but sometimes, you know, you sow that seed, you sow that seed, you witness to a friend, you witness to that friend, tell them about Jesus, you're consistent witness to them, you tell them about Jesus. I never will forget, I had this buddy of mine, and he was in the army, and, and uh, we were good friends, and uh, we hunted and fished together, and, and we were living in Winsboro, Texas. I was a minister of music uh, in a Baptist church at that point in my life. And I was, he was not born again, and I was convinced, you know, to just keep witnessing to him, tell, keep telling him about Jesus. 
and he just never really wanted to, you know, I just never could come down to that. So I just kept telling him, kept uh, encouraging him. And I went on some retreat, and I come home, and the guy got born again while I was gone. I'm telling you what, it is no fair whatsoever. Some guy just flew into town, said something about Jesus, and the guy said, I want to get born again right now. And he led him in the sinner's prayer, and his life was changed, and he was so excited. And I should have been real excited, but I was kind of like, come on now, I did all the hard work. I did all the heavy lifting and breaking the heavy soil and putting in the seed. And this guy just flaunts around and says, you want to come see Jesus? Yeah, okay, well, let's pray. So, hey, that's the way life is. Some, that's exactly right. That's what it tells us. Some plant, some do the soil, some do the watering, and some get the harvest. But God gets the glory. And it's not us anyway. And really, all we're really interested in is that kingdom fruit, that the kingdom would be increased. We should be happy about that. So just, I, I did want to read that verse in Romans 10, but I wanted to get that whole passage. I want to go from Romans 10, verse 9 down to 17. Kind of get, you know, it, we usually just quote 9 through 12, but I want to go 9 all the way to 17 to make sure you get the full context. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you made right with God, you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to be saved, uh, to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? And this is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes by hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. So the implication is that we need to be the bearer of the word. We need to speak the word. We need to tell the word. We need to tell them about Jesus. And how are they going to believe unless somebody tells them? So don't give up. Don't back up from telling uh, the people about Jesus. All right, the fourth question that I have on this about this passage, is kind of an implied question here. Why do some hear and believe in Jesus, and yet others hear and reject Jesus? You see this, don't you? Don't you have some that you tell them about Jesus, and they receive it with a ready heart? And others, you tell them about Jesus, and they say, I don't want to hear anything about it. And here's the other. Timing is important. Because you might tell someone about Jesus, and at that point in their life, they may say, 
I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not interested. But then later. They may be interested. You know, sometimes people are watching your life to see if your life is consistent with what you're telling them. So they're not so interested in you telling them about Jesus as they're interested in see if you walk what you talk. If your life lines up with what you're talking about. Because a lot of people are, they're burned out by church. They're burned out by hypocrites. They're burned out by poor representatives of Christianity. And so they're looking for genuineness among God's people. And so just because someone rejects or doesn't want to hear what you have to say doesn't necessarily mean the message is bad. It doesn't mean the seed is bad. And it doesn't mean that maybe they don't need to be saved or they won't be saved. But it simply means at this point, they're looking for a little more. Haven't y'all found that to be true? Anybody uh, been in that situation personally that you just kind of kind of wanted to wait until you saw something or maybe you had a loved one that they, they were waiting uh, until you really lived it and before they were going to, you know, be willing to listen to what you have to say. A couple of verses. You know, some people say it's predestination. Why some get saved and some are not saved. They just say, well, it's just determined. You know, it was determined long before who was going to get saved and who was not going to get saved. John Calvin uh, was a great uh, teacher of Calvinism, predestination. Well, I just want to say I'm not a Calvinist. I'm a strong believer in choice. I believe in the sovereign will of God. But I'm telling you, I believe the weight of the Scripture tells us that we have a choice and that that choice initiates a relationship with God. John um, 3.16, we just quoted it a minute ago. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It sounds like to me that's not predestination. It's just everyone who believes in him. And then Second Peter 3, 9, uh, the Lord is not, isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to repent. So that kind of brings up a second part of the question. What causes some people to refuse to hear the truth? And I know that's kind of related, but, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people, they just, they don't even want to hear the truth. And you'd start talking about God, you start talking about Jesus, and they go, ah, 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 yeah, I don't want to hear it. They just, don't, 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 don't even go there. I want to tell you. This is just my feeling and my, uh, in our world today, there are a lot of people who hate God. That's just the truth. We live in a, in a society, in a culture that is so anti-God. And, and I've seen it in my lifetime. I'm 68 years old. I never thought I would see 
the anti-Christian emphasis in our country that I'm seeing today. I just, 30, 40 years ago, I could not even fathom there being so many people who were against Christ, openly against Christ. And it, it's, it's disturbing for me. Um, anybody have any thoughts on why, why do so many refuse to hear the truth? Any thoughts? Penny? Okay. They love the pleasures of sin more than they love God. I think that's true. Penny? Hardness of heart. What do you think causes the hardness of heart? Okay. All right. Yeah, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. They a lot of people do when they don't understand who God is. They blame God for the bad things that are happening. And here's the amazing thing. Satan is the one who is tempting them to do bad things, to make wrong choices, to live a sinful life. And then they live a sinful life, and then they suffer the consequences of that sinful life. And then Satan says, and it's, and it's God's fault. <laughs> he sets you up, leads you down a wrong way, brings the destruction of your life because of your action and then turns and points to God and says, and God did it. That's just like the devil. Yes. What do you think, Diana? Notice it says he has blinded their what? Their minds. Now, I do believe that probably relates to their spiritual eyes. He's blinded their spiritual eyes. But in doing so, he blinds their mind. And in blinding their mind, they can't see the glorious gospel. They can't see the wonderful good news. You and I, we talk about the gospel and the good news and what Jesus did for us, and it just brings a warm glow in our heart to think about how God loves us and he died for us and he cares for us. But you know, for those whose minds are blinded, they don't get a warm, fuzzy feeling when you talk about God. Instead, they get angry, mad, bitter, resentful and I had I had a person tell me not long ago I was talking about the Lord and uh, they were they were struggling badly struggling and they said they made this statement I I've been thinking about it he said this he said I do not believe 
that I am lovable. And I don't believe anybody else can love me. I don't believe God can love me. And I certainly don't love me. They've been so burned out from life. Now, admittedly, a lot of the hurts that he felt, he brought on himself. (laughs) You know, that's amazing. But whether he brought them on or the devil brought them on or whoever, he still feels hurt. It's still reality to him. He may be misinterpreting events, but he's still hurting. And the hurt that he feels like has been against him, which was really his own fault, it brings you to a point where you feel like, I don't think God can love me. So when we tell them God loves them, they just kind of like blank out. Like, huh, I don't, I don't believe that. What we have to do is we have to love them. That's where let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have to be the demonstration of who God is. We have to be the one who will love them even when they're not real lovable. Because I want to tell you, people who have been hurt are not real loving, sweet people. They're mean people who are kind of wanting to hurt everybody else because they've been hurt. But if you can love them with the love of Christ, overlook their faults, overlook all that bad attitude, and just love them as Christ has loved you when you didn't deserve it, we become the love of God and we prove to them they are lovable. But it's not something you can say. It's something you have to demonstrate. It's something you have to do. And that's why, you know, I, you know, I, I love the things that we do for our outreaches, whether it's our Easter outreach or this pumpkin patch, you know, or whatever we do in, in the different outreaches we try and do through the city. And, you know, it's our opportunities as a church to just love people. Just to, just to reach out to them and love them. Yes, Ramonda? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's sad and it's difficult. Uh, and and again, sometimes we are the only people that are going to love them. That's just the truth. We are the only ones who are going to display the love of Christ. Especially you've got somebody, they don't get anything from home or family. They're treated badly and have been treated badly from birth in their home and their family. So they get no support from home or family. And, and so, again, they come up with this emotion, this feeling, and it's they're like they put up a block wall. And they're not going to let anybody love them 
Um, and we literally have to love them with a... Sometimes I figure you just got to love them and grit your teeth. You know, hang on, grit your teeth and love them anyway. It's all you can do. I, I want to read a passage kind of relates to what said John 3.19 says, And judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. People love the darkness more than the light. You know, I believe God calls us to love the truth. And to love the truth means that when that truth steps all over your toes, you receive it. And you welcome the truth, even if it steps all over you. Even if it shows you you're wrong, you still love the truth. But the other side of the reality, there are some people who just don't love the truth. They just don't love the truth. Look at this passage. And... and Again, forgive me for reading so much of this, but we're going to go Romans 1, 18, uh, all the way to 32. And I know that's a long passage, but what I want you to do is I want you to see the progression. Notice where it starts and where it ends. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So this is where it starts. They suppress the truth with their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky, everything God has made. They can clearly see the invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God. But they wouldn't worship him as God or give him thanks. And they began, now that describes the progression. This is where they started. But notice, this is where they started. And now they began, meaning they're heading on a downward spiral. As a result of the fact they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or they wouldn't even give thanks. And they began, here goes the progression, to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, instead they became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. And it's true. You want to go serve Satan and you want to go do your thing. God has given you free will. If you want to go your way and do your thing, he will let you. You want to walk down a terrible pathway? He'll say, okay, go. Go God abandon them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. He's, he almost looked like he stopped right there and he decided to add to it. It's like a preacher. He said, now I got another, I want to talk to you about a little bit more here. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women have turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. 
And the men, instead of having normal sexual relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result of their sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that they should never be done. Now, here's the end of the progression. Remember where we started. They, they started, they knew God, but they didn't want to be thankful, and they didn't want to acknowledge God. They didn't want to worship God. That's where they started. Now look where we are now. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. (laughs) Nosy threw in there, disobey your parents. They refuse to understand, break the promises. They are heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, I want to tell you, that's a bad progression. It started out, they knew God. But they didn't want to worship God. They didn't want to acknowledge God. They didn't want to thank God. And so they began. Began down the slide. And this is where they end. And that's a description where every person, it's a description of where our nation is. Because this applies to our a nation. It applies to individuals. If you will not acknowledge God, you will not turn to him and acknowledge him, and you turn away from him, you begin down that slide. And I just want to encourage you. Jesus has made a way that you don't have to go down there. You don't have to. Last thing I want you to see, it talks about the grace and the uh, the difference between the law and what Jesus, and the question that I had, what is the difference between, between the law and Jesus? Simple answer, the law gives us God's rules while Jesus gives us God's love and unfailing faithfulness. Which would you rather have, God's rules or his amazing love and his faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I'll take his amazing love and his faithfulness. The rules, they just taught us who God is and that he's a holy God. But they do not give you the ability or the power to accomplish it. That's why he sent Jesus. Because Jesus gives the power and the ability to live a holy life in relationship with him. So I'd like to encourage you tonight, join with me. If you don't know him tonight, I pray that you would hunger and thirst to know him as the Lord of your life. If you know him, don't let yourself, you know, I I always think back to that, and they were not thankful. Lord, teach me to be thankful. Teach me to be thankful.
thankful for every good thing God has done for you. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's just be grateful tonight, be thankful. Oh, Lord, we lift up our hands to you and we declare that we are grateful, Lord. We, we are not the kind of people that it referred to in Romans chapter 1. Lord, our minds and our eyes and our, our hearts are open to you. And, Lord, we are grateful. And we worship you, O oh Lord. We acknowledge you, O oh Lord. And we are thankful for all that you have done for us in our life. We are grateful. Lord, help us to love the unlovely. Help us to love those who are burned out, disappointed, discouraged, the ones who feel like they can't be loved. Lord, help us to overlook that and give us your heart, O Lord. Give us your heart, Lord. And help us to be the demonstration of who you are in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.